This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cohn Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. There's a famous saying that the great way is not difficult for those not attached to preferences. This is a really important saying, and it's one that we'll come back to all the time. But I bring it up here because it's a way of talking about practice that we're prone to. You know, a lot of teachers have come forward and said, well, the, the trick is this. There's this one thing. It's like for us culturally when we say that there are, there are two kinds of people, right? There's so many punchlines to that. There are two kinds of people. People who believe that there are two kinds of people and people who don't believe that there are two kinds of people. Right? So in the world of, of these kinds of teachings, we're, we're, uh, we're always coming up with a new one. Right? That the trick is just if you, then you fill in the blank, whatever that is. And I think they tend to be true even if they're different from one another. And so today I'm going to to offer one up. That the great way is not difficult for those who are completely honest. But of course, being completely honest is difficult. When we speak about being honest, I think we naturally see that falling into two categories. One is being honest with others, and the other is being honest with ourselves. It's important to be honest with others, but being honest with others is perhaps a different conversation. I want to talk about being honest with ourselves. In the Buddhist world, when we talk about morality, it's never about being right. The goal of Buddhism is never to be right. The goal is never to find that perfect moral stance, even. The goal is to be skillful. to address each situation skillfully. But we cannot do that if we're lying. We cannot be skillful, just to take an obvious example, in Zazen, if we're convinced that we're doing it really well. If you're sitting on the cushion in the, the, 
under the, the rainbow disco ball of your own spiritual glory, thinking, I'm nailing this. There's no practice for you there. There's nothing for you to do. And where there's nothing for you to do, there's no practice. But when you're honest, you start to see what's really in front of you. And so when your shoulders start to hunch forward and you pull yourself up, that's an honest moment. When you catch yourself in a dream, that's an honest moment. But this applies to everything. We cannot be skillful if we are not seeing things with clear eyes. In order to see another person, we have to first be honest with ourselves. It's a basic tenet of Buddhism that the nature of suffering is always the same. But if you aren't in touch with that suffering, if you don't understand the nature of that suffering for yourself, that means that you don't understand the nature of someone else's suffering. You cannot. And by extension, if you do understand the nature of your own suffering, it means that you do understand the nature of someone else's. And from there, you can begin to act. There's a great quotation by uh, Gandhi, and I forgot today to find what he actually said word for word, but essentially he was saying that he has, the reason that he could have so much patience for the sinners of the world was because he recognized that he was such a sinner himself. I saw a letter once that he wrote to Hitler. It was so nice. It was extremely kind. Probably one of the nicer letters that Hitler ever received. What's important about this is that Gandhi was not... uh, trapped by the idea that he was separate from this person that we all uh, understand to be such a villain in our cultural story. He could look deeply into himself and he could look at Hitler's actions as an expression of suffering and recognize in himself that he also experiences suffering. And therefore, what they have in common is more important than what seems to be different. Even if the expression is a world apart. And so when someone cuts you off in traffic, you have this moment of opportunity 
And there are various ways to talk about it, but one is to talk about it in terms of the, the decision moment between whether you're going to lie or whether you're going to tell yourself the truth. When the guy cuts you off in traffic and you jump into this reactive mode and you say, that jerk, how could he do that? You're lying because you know how. Of course you know how. Of course you understand that there are circumstances. Of course you understand that you are not always perfectly attentive to your own life. Right? That doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that the person who cut you off was not in the wrong or that he wasn't dangerous. But if you choose that moment to say, the guy in front of me and I are fundamentally separate, then you are also in the wrong. Because you've missed this chance. The chance is to be skillful. And there are two, two ways in this particular moment that come to mind. The first is to simply be safe. If your first reaction is not uh, to be livid, you are more likely to keep it together on the road in the face of what was just a dangerous situation. The other opportunity is that you have the opportunity to not dig your own hole deeper. The hole you have already been digging your whole life that says, I am separate from the people around me. I am separate from the things I do not want to see. I am separate from the things that I do not like. We see things on the news all the time that are horrific. And I don't believe that there's any stage of Buddhist practice at which those things we see cease to be horrific. But if we want to respond to them in a skillful way, our only opportunity is to look first at who we are. And to ask ourselves, am I capable of that act? The act that I find so abhorrent. The act that I find so terrifying. The act that seems so foreign to me that I'm shocked when I hear of it. If you want to be skillful in the face of that horror, your best chance is to understand what you're looking at.
And Buddhism offers up the suggestion that if you look deeply within yourself, you can find the very thing that you're seeing. You can find the very thing that frightens you. It doesn't mean that you would ever commit that act. The causes and conditions of your life are different from everyone else. You were raised in a particular way. And you've been raised in a particular culture. And you have certain interests. And you have certain fears. And all of these things come to bear in your everyday actions. And all of these things, for most of us, keep us kind of ordinary. They keep us from going over some sort of edge where our innate ability to prioritize our needs over the needs of other people becomes pathological or violent. Or the place where we feel the need to increase our alienation through some sort of destructive act. But still we have this ability to look, to be truly honest with ourselves and see that there is nothing of which we are not capable. And we can let that be the starting point of how we respond to the world. I read once, I think it was uh, Chogyam Trungpa, was talking about the heart of the Bodhisattva. And this is an unforgettable image. But he described it, he described the, the, the chest being cracked open as it would be for some sort of open heart surgery, completely exposed to the air and the, the wind, the breeze go across that heart. And then, after painting this very raw image of the heart of the Bodhisattva, he says, now there's a mosquito on it. And it's stinging all the time. It's a beautiful image. And I think it speaks partly to the to the kind of, of openness that I'm, I'm trying to describe. But it also speaks to a very powerful and painful truth, which is that the fruit of practice is not necessarily to feel good. I think that we, we, we cripple ourselves sometimes, culturally, 
with our obsession with happiness. And we sometimes, I see articles that go by and they'll show a picture of a Tibetan monk and they'll say, this monk is the happiest man in the world. And then they'll show that he's hooked up to an EEG to prove that he is the happiest man in the world. Right? Well, first of all, happiness, by his definition, is not the same as happiness by our cultural definition. So we're using this word very loosely. (laughs) Second, it's not the point. (laughs) If we are open in this way, if we are honest in this way, if we are raw in this way, then for every moment that we are smiling, there will be another moment when we have a tear welling up because it just seems so close. Because everything seems so close. And to push away or, or to create some new emotional wall wherein we imagine that we should be stoic in the face of, of the things that terrify us or that we should be brave in the th- face of the things that terrify us is a mistake. We should be terrified in the face of the things that terrify us. Not because they're out there, but again, because they resonate within us as human beings. And we realize that we have to deal with that first. I don't know if that's bad news or good news, but it sounds like bad news. So I'll finish with another side of this, which is that I believe if we are really honest with ourselves, if we really look at ourselves, we recognize something that is unspeakably big. We don't have to be able to put a name to it. We don't have to be able to describe it. From a Buddhist perspective, we would say we can't describe it. But if we're really honest, even just about the reasons why we come here, I think part of the reason, as hard as it is to explain, is that we're aware of that. We're aware of that aspect. We may not know how to cultivate it. We may not know how to be in touch with it all the time. But we sense that something is there. But if we've already done the first part of this exercise and we have found that what we see in others is also present in ourselves, 
then we can do the reverse as well. And we can see that this ineffable, this inexpressible, this vast aspect of our experience is also present in others. If there is nothing of which we are not capable, then that means that our possibilities are endless. And it means that the possibilities of those around us are endless. And we can understand that, we can feel that in a true way. We can feel that in that same raw way. So that when we encounter someone that we care about, or we encounter someone who challenges us deeply in terms of our equanimity, we can learn to recognize in them that capacity. we can see them not just because we have this great exposed heart, but because if we look closely, we can see that they also have this heart that is the same. Exposed or hidden, it doesn't matter. Recognizing it is our job. Responding to it is our job. Bringing skill to that encounter is our job. And it's something that we can all do. But it starts with just not kidding ourselves. And that's difficult. And that's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.